The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Happy New Year and welcome to Season 2 of our series called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. And you know, if you want to run with the Game Changers, and I should say if you want to drive with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. What's the buzz on the street today? Well, the buzz is a quote from Neil Shusterman's book, Downsiders. Here we go. Cities are never random. No matter how chaotic they may seem, everything about them grows out of a need to solve a problem. That gives you a little idea what we're going to be talking about. The future of viable smart cities. We're not just saying any smart cities, the viable ones, the ones that could live and breathe and survive. Smart cities around the globe is being shaped by two major forces. Number one, we're seeing a verified acceleration of urbanization. More than 70% of the world's population are in cities. Aha! And we're seeing a surge, of course, in mobility tech innovations. That's right. We're on the road. We're on the go. Our technology is coming with us. It's traveling with us. It's ahead of us. But, 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 sounds wonderful. But the path ahead is still littered with formidable roadblocks. I won't use too many cliches, but we have, we have potholes called investment challenges. We have interoperational issues. And perhaps the biggest, and this may surprise you, the human element of acceptance. So the question on the table today is how soon will the road to smart cities be paved and will it be paved with gold? And you know we're talking about the future of cars. So think in that perspective. I'm delighted to welcome three of our regular panelists. We're going to be speaking with Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP, Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights, and Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, who founded the Smart Cities Research Program at IDC in 2011 and serves as its Global Director. So now let's get started. Larry Stoley, I'm going to welcome you with a quote you sent me from Eduardo da Costa Pace, P-A-E-S, former mayor of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Here's the quote. Smart cities are those who manage their resources efficiently. Let's take it from there. Larry, welcome. How are you? I'm very well and glad to be back. You know, we just kind of flushed everything for the holidays and boom, here we are. Boom, here we are. Absolutely funny thing, Larry. I, I'm still doing my Coffee Break with Game Changers live predictions shows. We had so many people respond to, to the invitation this year that we're doing five weeks. So last week, uh, everybody was just barely back from taking down the tree or unplugging the menorah lights, and we were live on the radio Wednesday. And I said to Michael, my engineer, I said, I'm kind of nervous. He said, you? And I said, yeah, I haven't been on live radio in a couple weeks. So bam, here we are, 16 guests, 57 
minutes, and why do we get predictions? So, Larry, let's talk. Smart cities, cars, let's put it all together for us. And, and why did you quote Monsieur, Monsieur, uh, Senor Eduardo de Costa Pays, the former mayor of Rio, Rio de Janeiro? Talk to me. You know, when I look at, at smart cities and what that really means, two things jump out at me. One is the technology, smart technology, the interoperability, the interconnection, integration, and so on. That's all pretty easy to understand for me. But Eduardo Pays says something that's very, very pertinent. Smart cities have a human side. They have a, a people side. And that side of smart cities is how you manage those public services, how you manage the things that go on in cities, how you manage disaster response or reaction to stimuli that happens caused by people, accidents, uh, construction, all of those types of things. So for me, it was very, very pertinent to say, okay, smart cities are not just technology. Smart cities are people. And that's really what struck me about that quote. Very, very interesting. Um, as far as Rio de Janeiro goes, how are they doing in terms of smart city? Any anything you'd like to share with well, us? They had, they had a whole lot of preparation to do to, to get ready for the Olympics this uh, last year and so on. So they, they tried to do and attempted successfully in many ways to do a lot of smart things. But a lot of the smart they did was on the people side. You know, how do you react? How do you manage? And so on and so forth. It wasn't automate the traffic signals. It wasn't automate parking or driving or anything like that. It was really on the smart people side of smart cities. Okay, thank you very much, Larry. And certainly uh, Rio de Janeiro had a lot of people when that was all happening, so we'll talk about more later. And, Larry, I want to thank you for renewing this series. It's always fun and interesting to have you on. You're always, you're almost always on your own series shows. And uh, welcome back and Happy New Year. Now let's Thanks, welcome Bonnie. back another regular. She's Heather Ashton, as I said, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. And Heather has quoted, sent me a quote from Mark Fields, CEO of Ford Motor Group. Many of you may have seen him recently on one of the Sunday talk shows. I think it was um, it was either 60 Minutes Sunday night or CBS Sunday morning. And here's the quote from Mark Fields. He says, Imagine if we focused on optimizing roads for the total number of people on them instead of the total number of vehicles. What a thought. Heather Ashton, Happy New Year. How are you? Very well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. We're delighted as always. How could we have a show without you? Come on, we're kicking off a year. We need we need our regular people here. So, Heather, you picked a quote from Mark Fields. Tell me about the importance of that related to our topic of paving the road to smart cities. Sure. I'm, I'm actually in the Motor City right now, Bonnie, at the North American Auto Show. So I figured it was very fitting to find a quote uh, from one of the major players, um, Mark Fields. And what I have to say is from the show floor, um, the, the tone is most definitely about mobility and moving people around and about the customer, um, which is a, a big shift from the automakers from you know, years past. So they're all talking um, in a very different language than they were in, um, in terms, you know, not powertrains. It's more about, you know, really moving people, mobility, how to get them around, and how do we start rethinking what it means to move people around a city, around an urban landscape, and what does that mean in terms of technologically enabling that? So that um, it's a very, it continues on that theme that Larry started around, it's about the people and how they can most intelligently move around a smart city. 
Very interesting. And you and I have talked about this a lot in terms of, I think we talked about uh, smart parking spaces last year. Were yeah. you the one who brought that up? Yeah, we might might bring that up too. That is certainly people-oriented as well as the automobile and the space in which you put it. Thank you so much, Heather. Delighted to have you back. And now we're going to welcome Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, who founded the Smart Cities Research Program at IDC back in 2011. And Ruth B. is quoting Anthony Fox. That's Fox with two X's. The U.S. Secretary of Transportation. Here's an interesting quote. Everywhere I go, I see incredible examples of communities that have a vision of transportation and how it will impact the quality of life, mobility, economics, and opportunity. He sure hit all the high points there. Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm great. Yeah, and... um I really liked this quote, and it goes back to something that Larry and Heather have, have referenced, which is really the fact of tying transformation to these larger issues um, in an explicit way. You know, we all think about searching for parking or being stuck in traffic as affecting our quality of life, but also looking at it really as in regards to the economics of a city, the opportunities people have, how they can access services and libraries and healthcare and jobs. Um, really like that this quote talks about what he's seen in communities in the U.S. that have this vision that are tied to these outcomes and the mission of government. Um, and I really like the fact that it references a little bit the fact that in the U.S., our transportation infrastructure was actually in some ways purposely created many, many years ago. It, in a way, a little bit to divide cities and people and to keep people a little bit in separate neighborhoods. So what we see a lot of cities talking about is how to sort of undo this segregation that really prohibits some part of the cities and some neighborhoods from easy access to those services and to jobs. And how do we do that? Looking at, you know, the connected car, how do we provide new means of access and mobility without ripping up all the current infrastructure, or without building entire new systems. And so looking at innovations in transit, connected cars and shared cars and autonomous shuttles, um, you know, I think that's what's really interesting as a way to sort of undo some of the ways that we've dealt with transportation strategy and building, building our road networks over time. And the final thing I, I wanted to quote Anthony Fox because he did a really – amazing Smart Cities DOT challenge grant. And I think that just brought all these cities to thinking about Smart Cities and transportation. And so he put out a challenge where one city in the U.S. won $50 million. 78 cities um, contributed and, and provided proposals. And that means that there were all these cities that really took the time to bring together stakeholders to think about their transportation strategy to think about innovative technology, which was a specific charter of the, of the challenge grant. Um, and Columbus, Ohio ultimately won, but a lot of these cities are still trying to enact their vision. So I think that was a really important thing that he did, and I want to quote him for that reason as well. Very, very interesting, and thank you. Uh, yeah, we, we need to look at the people side. I was so intrigued when you said cities were created to divide people, and you used the word segregation. Very, very interesting. Can you just expand on that for a moment without getting into any politics, Ruth B? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think think of what we have in our expression about being on the wrong side of the tracks. Yes. That's actually um, true. There were railroad tracks and, and things that divided 
certain types of groups of people in cities purposefully um, because when a lot of these things were developed, we did have a segregated society. So there are class and race implications of the way that cities were built. And obviously our roads have not changed significantly for a lot of downtown urban areas. Um, in the past 50 years, you know, maybe they've expanded highways and things like that, but a lot of that um, still still is, is retained, where neighborhoods just don't have as many bus routes or there weren't subway lines that were built um, that blanketed an entire city. And so certain neighborhoods were actually left out. And I think now, you know, cities are really trying to undo that, realizing that there's these pockets of people who... Um, you know, it's very hard for them to access the things that other people are accessing, and, it, and it's hurt the city as a whole to have certain areas that are not um, as mobile, um, easily mobile as other parts of the city. Thank you. Mo- mobility takes on multiple meanings, doesn't it? Especially we're talking about the future of cars here and getting in a vehicle, and now we have mobility where we can be anywhere in the world sitting in a chair at any place in the world, and we can connect with people without having to get into a vehicle. A little bit of a maybe a dichotomy and maybe wish fulfillment. I don't know. But now it's time for me to fulfill the wish of finding out what the three of you are drinking today or if you want to talk about what you had on New Year's, what kind of bubbly or other. So this is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup? today. Larry Stoley, where are you calling from and what are you drinking or what was your beverage of choice over the holidays? Well, I'm in my home office and this morning I am actually not sitting at my desk. I'm sitting in the comfortable easy chair in the corner of the office. So I'm ensconced in comfort right now. And you know, Bonnie, you you said be bold about what you're drinking and so on. And I'm going to be bold in a different way. And I'm going to tell you, I'm boldly drinking what I always drink, my plain old Folgers. Black, (laughs) straight up, hot, not burned, not burned, but hot. Over the holidays, I didn't, you know, wander too much from pretty, pretty docile things. So... You know, I'm back to the routine, back to the Folgers, and it keeps me going through the morning. And my wife and I fight over, okay, who gets the last drop? But uh, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I sense a commercial in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> ask me before you take the last drop. But that's that's the bold thing I do, and I'm proud of it. And, you know, I'm so delighted that you said bold and not boring because some people say, I'm drinking Folgers, same old, same old, I'm boring. You said, I'm bold. I like that, Larry. You be proud of your Folgers there. You, you keep You keep drinking it because we've got a long, we've got 10 episodes. This is the first of 10 of your season renewal. And, again, thank you for renewing the series. We loved everything you and Heather and Otto Shell and other people talked about in 2016 and looking forward to more and very interesting topics this year. So, and Heather Ashton, you are in the Motor City and you're at the North American Car Show. I just tweeted about that. Hope that's okay. So what are you drinking that's handy, or what were you drinking over the holidays, Heather? Sure. Handy is a, is a very good word, Bonnie, um, <laughs> because I have learned I'm non-dairy, so and I cannot drink my coffee black, but I must have my coffee every morning. And so I'm learning how to like soy. So that's, you know, um, in the new year, I'm, I guess I'm branching out. That's all they had available for me, so... Soy in my uh, black coffee. And then over the new year, um, I think I mentioned before the break that um, we tried, uh, we set up a still at home and we tried to brew our brew or make our own gin. And so we tasted the first batch of that um, right around the new year. And I have to say it was pretty good for our first efforts as alchemists. Um, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's so funny. That's that's very very funny. Uh, somebody in the a show later today was originally going to quote uh, the author of The Alchemist. So interesting that you could mention that. Uh, and and are we going to have a brand name on this home brewed? It's not bathtub gin, is it, Heather? Something a little, <laughs> a little more evolved. It's Brita Pitcher Gin, Brita uh, Pitcher Gin, basically. <laughs> so. so it's the Ashton version of Brita Pitcher filter. Brita Pitcher filter. We'll come up with it. We got to brand yeah, we'll that. We'll work on, on, we'll work, on work on that this year. Yes, future of smart cities, future of cars, and the future of Heather Ashton's homemade gin. We're all coming <laughs> over for a drink before next New Year's. Thank you. And Ruth B. Yester Clark, I have to tell everybody, you are not only on our debut season two of Future of Cars, you're going to be on the debut of one of our brand new series in a little over and well, it's. Yeah, now an hour and a half from now, 12 noon Eastern, it's Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP has started a series called Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future. So smart cities seems to be the theme here on Game Changers Radio today. And Ruth B. Esther Clark will be on both shows, and we're absolutely delighted. So Ruth B., you must be drinking something that's fortifying. You tell us, what's what's in your cup today, and what's keeping you going? <laughs> I am drinking a delicious mixture of hot cocoa and coffee. And I'm calling from the lovely Framingham, Massachusetts, which is where IDC's headquarters are, from my office, which I will say is now decorated with tons of city paraphernalia, which is exciting. And I am, um, and it was funny, I was trying to think of a metaphor about my, my drink here, and, and I think I've always been an interdisciplinary mix, mixing type person. You know, I can't just think of technology. I have to think about technology in the context of social missions and, and, and things for good. And I was interdisciplinary major in college. And um, so that's my, that's my feeling about today is that I had to make a cup of cocoa and a cup of coffee and mix them together to make the perfect drink for this, for this show. And, and um, it's delicious. Ruth B., I have a question for you. I, I love my coffee. I have an espresso machine, a red one, and I adore it. And I also love going to Starbucks for a mocha from time to time. But I have not yet figured out the proportions to combine cocoa and coffee to make home-brewed mocha. Do you have a, a quick recipe or a proportional formula you can share with us? Because I think a lot of people, what do they do to make that mocha taste so good in the <laughs> store? Why can't I do it at home? So what do you do? You make one of each and you just pour them together and say, aha. Uh-huh. Well, I think the best thing, and I do not think this would replicate necessarily what, what the, a great coffee shop would do because I think they have all sorts of high-end special ingredients, but if you take the cocoa powder, like a good cocoa powder, and you mix it with a tiny bit of coffee in the beginning to make a little sludge, ah. and then you add a little bit of water, like a third of water, like a, a little bit of cream or milk, and then the rest coffee, somehow making that cocoa Sludge with the coffee as the liquid um, does something that that perks it up, makes it really delicious. So now we have coffee cocoa sludge. I like that. I think we can work with that. I'll be. I have an hour between shows today. Maybe I'll have my own recipe before we return at noon with the Smart City series. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm drinking, as everybody knows, cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. I have an orange straw, which is supposed to simulate the sunshine that is coming and going. We just got through about a five-inch snowstorm here over the weekend. Roads are clear here on Long Island. I don't see any black ice or anything treacherous, but we're due for rain tomorrow and then maybe snow. 
snow again over the weekend. So there. So I'm going to stick to the water, but I will secretly try to come up with my coffee cocoa sludge after the second radio show today. We're speaking today with Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, and Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, and our topic is Paving the Road to Smart Cities. Smart Cities is our theme today on both of our live shows. So we're going to be right back talking about urbanization, the role of cars, how cities need to think about the human side, the people, not just the vehicles. What about the people in them? What about the people in the cities? How do we drive people to realize viable smart cities and accept them? We'll be honing in on that theme with Larry as well. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Indeed, here we are, and we're talking about paving the road to smart cities. Cars is included in there somewhere because they're going to be driving on that road. We're not sure who's going to be behind the wheel, but we might find that out in the course of this conversation. Speaking with Larry Stoley at SAP, Heather Ashton at IDC, and Ruth B. Yesner-Clark. Clark has an E on the end of it, by the way, also at IDC. We're going to kick off the roundtable with some notes here from Larry Stoley, and Larry says, change, meaning the move to smart, and he puts smart in quotes, will not occur easily, although it is inevitable. 100 years of the automobile and its usage will not be let go of without angst. Larry, fill in the blanks for us, please. Well, you know, when you when you think about it, you have to kind of go to what Ruth B. said. There was a whole lot of, I'll use the word social engineering, if you will, that went into the way cities were laid out uh, in, in that past hundred years, there were a whole lot of things that were done just because maybe it was segregation, maybe it was the right side or the wrong side of the tracks, all of those kind of things. And when you really think about it, that's been ingrained very deeply in the fabric of cities for a hundred years. And, and certainly the automobile has, you know, benefited from that or been penalized by it, people as well. So, all of those changes that a smart city, an evolving city is going to become, really talks about the technology is not the issue. The technology is there. What we're going to face, and, and what I think uh, 
uh, is important to realize that it's not technology, it's the people who are impacted. Uh, that's going to be a tough change for a lot of people, not because they're resistant to, to change, not because they have you know, deep political agendas or anything like that, but just change. We moved the trash can in our kitchen, for example, changed the location. I still go to the old location. <laughs> so those are the kind of things that, that we're going to have to face in smart cities uh, as we evolve, as we make them adaptable and make them efficient for all, all people in the city and the urban area and so on. Change is going to come slowly. Change is going to come with a little bit of, oh, I, why did we do that? Those kind of questions and so on. But fundamentally, it's going to happen. So suck it up and we just have to get on with it. But Larry, before I turn to Heather and Ruth B, I want to ask you, in, in terms of this change that will not be easy, will not go away easily, is the fact that smart cities will say we don't want as many cars or we want cars that are efficient, uh, fuel efficient or environmentally friendly. You can't have this car, you can't have that car, forget about your, your, hy- your old hybrid or forget about your classic car in the garage. It's not welcome in our city or the change to more of the app service, the Ubers and the Lyfts and, and those services or the change to, uh, Aha, self-driving autonomous cars. Where will most of the pain come from in terms of smart cities and automobiles talking to residents or, or visitors? What, can you, can you uh, hone in on where will that angst come from? That, that's a catch-22 question, and, and it really has an answer any way you want to think about it. Most of the angst is going to come from, from people who have established drivers, if you will, people who have been driving, operating vehicles, operating my vehicle of choice, which is a pickup truck, for example, uh, for so many years. You know, the, the millennials, as they come on, on board in the urban areas, this whole notion of ride sharing, of car sharing, and so on and so forth, it's going to come kind of naturally to them. They're not going to have so much of, of a challenge. It's the people who have established their transportation methodologies, their ownership methodologies, what a car means to them in terms of their lifestyle, their status in life, and those types of things. That's where the change is going to become more difficult and become a good bit more painful. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the new comes in, the old goes out, and everything's going to just evolve. It's going to happen. So. I can't, that's kind of the way I look at uh, the people side of change to, you know, these highly automated, highly smart urban areas. Thank you very much. Time to get Heather Ashton's POV in here. Heather, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Where will this resistance mostly come from? Yeah, I, I, um, I agree in part with what Larry is saying, but I would argue that it, it definitely is along the lines of the generational, um, the generational differences, and it comes down to, you know, the, the rate at which this is going to change and we're going to evolve into these, you know, different ride sharing and some of the autonomous vehicles and the way the connected car is used in the city is going to happen over time. It's going to be a decade or more before we really see, say, autonomous vehicles, right, or, or shared autonomous vehicles. Um, so in that, in that time, what you're going to have is not only the millennials, but the digital natives. These are children who were born, you know, um, after 2000, and, and they're going to come, you know, up into this age where many of them won't even know what driving a car means. And to them, it's just, you know, a, a form of mobility, getting from point A to point B, what's the most economical 
um, when you think about something, you know, as startling as, you know, paying over $1,000 a month, essentially, to own or use a car by yourself that you don't use 80% of the time or more. Um, these, you know, young, younger generation that's coming out of school with loans and they're trying to live in a city that's very expensive already, the last thing that they're going to want to do is, is take on, you know, kind of that debt or that, that type of an asset. Um, so I think that I think we're going to see there be less resistance within the urban environment um, because the population is going to be skewing younger in a lot of these urban areas as these you know the population comes out of school and they're and they're um, you know they're trying to take advantage of the city and its and life and really use mobility um, as a as a vehicle without necessarily having a vehicle. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, I'm still not giving up my sports card, damn it. Okay, Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, love to have you weigh in on this. What are your observations? Yeah, I mean, I think Larry is making a really good point, which is that a lot of this is about changing behaviors. And and I take what Heather's saying sort of about the digital natives and the millennials um, maybe having a very different view of car ownership. But I think when we start to look at this complex ecosystem of metropolitan areas, that's where I think um, the behavior change coupled with policy and investment is going to be incredibly complicated to figure out what the right move might be. So I think we're trying to change behaviors. We all uh, would agree that that is true, right? If, if you want to reduce traffic or some congestion or, um, you know, environmental factors, you, you want people to use different forms of transportation, maybe public transportation. And how is that nudged by policy, right? So I love the example, for example, of GE moving their headquarters to Boston and having only 25 or 27 parking spots for 800 people in their entire multi-acre, very big headquarters. Now, that's clearly something that they worked with the city to do because they're being a sustainable facility. And you can see right, wh- right away that what GE and Boston have done is force the people who are going to work at that headquarters not to drive because there's no parking for them. And I think you see that with Germany, right, saying cars are going to be non-carbon powered by 2030. Um, but that can get complicated, right? If you're working with these incentives to change people um, to move to other options besides the private vehicle, are these options as convenient and as affordable as private cars? Um, if you, what are the sort of pros and cons and also, um, ult, you know, long-term effects? So if traffic goes down because of some policy or some big, big drive for change, does it eventually go back up because people think, hey, there's not as much traffic. Now I can drive. This is really convenient for me. Um, and another thing that really interests me is how this impacts city revenues. When you think of parking reductions, like with GE, that's a major source of revenue for cities. So as you start to implement policy that might reduce traffic or shift people to other means of transportation that might be private, what does that do for the city's sort of financial structure? Um, If more people are using Lyft or Uber or other types of sources and parking is going down, how does that leave the city in terms of where when they start to look at their entire ecosystem and their, and their finances and how they bring in money to support the city function. So I think that's where it gets very complicated, looking at how you change behaviors, what policies you implement, and what, how does that, what are the incentives and how does that play out over the long term, as Heather said, the 10-year the time frame. I think that's really complicated thinking there. Thank you, Ruth. Be great insights. Larry, since this was your topic, I'm going to let you wrap this one up. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists just shared? 
Well, I, I agree with them both, and what it's going to come down to is the the D's versus the D's, the uh, dinosaurs versus the digitals, and uh, you know it's going to come over time. Uh, there change is going to happen. It's going to happen. It has to happen. Um, how it will happen? I think we're going to continuously evolve the policies uh, in that that enable smart cities. Uh, I think those will be in a constant state of flux because everybody's going to learn, and and what works on paper doesn't work necessarily in practice. So I think that's going to be a real moving target over the next 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. And honestly spoken, we've talked about, you know, smart cities, we've talked about connected and driverless vehicles being upon us in 10 years. They will be. But the effective utilization of them, the acceptance of those things, is going to be a much more protracted change than I think we all really would like to believe right now. Thank you, Larry. There was a quotable in there, dinosaurs versus the digitals. I hadn't heard that, and I love it, and it just went out on the Twitter sphere. So thank you very much. I think that's what you call it. Let's move on to a different aspect of this topic. Uh, Heather Ashton, I'm looking at your notes. I touched on this a few minutes ago in one of my comments. I'd love to dive in. You say, we're seeing a dramatic shift away from the notion of transportation, in quotes, which is very infrastructure-heavy, to the term du jour, term of the day, mobility, which imbues a sense of flexibility and responsiveness to the idea of getting from point A to point B within a city. And then the corollary to that is you say, who is driving the new vision for the smart city and the quote-unquote mobility services within? So, Heather, can you introduce us to this? Sure. Yeah, that's, it was very interesting. That word mobility, I, I am amazed at how... Um, how fluent all of the major automotive OEMs have become in speaking mobility, um, whereas they were, they were talking cars a couple of years ago. Um, so they're trying to get ahead of and establish their position in, in what that means and what the new future of mobility is, whether it's ride-sharing, whether it's autonomous vehicles, um, you know, the various different types of ownership and, and usage models. Um, but the interesting part is really when you take that idea of mobility and then you put it against the landscape of the city, of the urban environment, and, you know, this is where um, I've enjoyed working a lot with Ruthby on this when we talked about, you know, smart cities and, and connected cars because the urban environment, they have other versions and other ways of, of mobility, right? They have um, subways and trains and buses and, and taxi car, you know, taxi cabs. So, uh, you know, how does that all kind of work together? And, you know, the real, the real thoughts here are, you know, yes, you're seeing that the, definitely the automotive OEMs are trying to influence how mobility is perceived and adopted and they want to be part of it. But at the same time, you're also, you know, working within a, um, a city, within an urban environment that has other sort of, you know, um, constructs of mobility and other, you know, uh, ways of doing that. And so, so we're starting to see, again, some of the cities and the technology being overlaid for things like, you know, being able to see when the next subway is coming, when the next bus is coming, if it's delayed, mm-hmm. how the route is. And this is all, you know, via an app on your phone. So that's, you know, one example. We're also seeing, again, the different ride-sharing um, opportunities and options, you know, for, um, for the citizens uh, within an urban environment. Uh, and so, so the, it really is kind of, um, at this point, I think it's all sort of a mix. And I do think that the, the sort of smart city leaders are going to, you know, have um, a big influence on how it gets adopted within the different urban environments to satisfy the needs of those constituents, which will vary based, you know, from city to city. 
Thank you, Heather. Before I invite Ruth B. and Larry to comment on this, I just want to give a sidebar. Uh, I mentioned that we had a snowfall here in, in New York and Long Island and the, this part of the East Coast, actually all the way down to Raleigh-Durham, which is supposed to have one of their five largest snowfalls in the history of the city. Anyway, uh, in New York, there, there's been something in the news about uh, the fact that there's an app where you can check to see where the snowplows have cleared the streets in New York. And one of the legislators, I don't remember his name, but he had a really cool hat on every time he appeared on the news. He said, well, the reality is they checked off the box on this app saying XYZ Street was cleared, but we were there and it wasn't. So what's going on with the app? Because people need to know if they can drive down their streets. So Heather, that's kind of a um, an extension of mobility is when are the streets clear for you to use your vehicle. What do you think of that? Interesting? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and that, and that lends to that whole notion of visibility, right? So that's yes. why, you know, as, as a part of kind of instrumenting all of the different constituents, right, to understand what's going on at the street level, how am I going to get from point A to point B, what's the best way to do that? Right. And that requires visibility, as you said. So, you yes. know, putting, um, putting sensors on the different types of moving, you know, vehicles and apparatus. But to your point also, if there's human error involved, meaning somebody's saying, oh, we already did that street, but they actually didn't, you know, that's another, a whole other issue. Yeah, and apparently it's been going on, this contention between who's updating the app and who's actually plowing the streets. It's been going on for over a year. He was a little bit annoyed. Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, love to get your thoughts on Heather's comments about mobility in the urban environment. What do you see? Yeah, well, you know, Heather and I have talked about this a lot together and really worked about um you know, worked on this together, so it's not going to be any surprise that I agree with <laughs> much of what she's saying. And, you know, we do really see, you know, as the automotive industry has been disrupted in many cases by car sharing and potential autonomy of vehicles and, and ride-hailing services, you know, it's forced them to rethink the role of the car and how they talk about it and, and how they view themselves. And so um, I think we think about mobility as a as a way of thinking about movement and how do we think about moving people and things from one place to another. And I think the bottom line is, is that there's just a tremendous amount of options now. And there weren't the same type of options even 10 years ago, you know, when Zipcar, I think, just started. So, so you had your buses and your subways and, and your car, and now we have a lot more happening with light rail. You have car sharing. You have ride hailing. Um, you know, we have taxis trying to update themselves. So I think, you know, it is a very interesting ecosystem. And one of the things that Heather and I really talk a lot about is how the ecosystem players need to work together. And in some cases they are, and in some cases they really aren't. And so when you see, I think, the history of the automotive industry, um, which is regulated, um, has a lot to do with the federal government, um, you know, they're sort of in a place where I think that they are collaborative. They are collaborators, and, and they do see the ecosystem, and Heather, correct me if I'm wrong, is really involving a lot of different folks that they need to work with. Um, I think some of the newer companies, um, for example, we've seen a lot of public challenges with Uber, you know, mm-hmm. really have come in and, and, and been much more of the startup mentality um, and maybe not been really paying attention to the impact on the city or working with the city. And so I think that's a big, big point that I would like to make, which is this is transportation. This is mobility. This is movement. It impacts people significantly. And so it doesn't work 
if people barge in and they don't work with the municipalities, if they don't work with government, if they don't work with the tech suppliers, if they don't work with the automotive industry, it really needs to be a collaboration around the ecosystem for this to, to change over time the way we want it to. So I think that's my big comment on, on this discussion and of all these different um, modes of transportation that are coming up. Thank you, Ruth B. Very, very interesting comments. Larry Stoll, you have a lot to talk about. What do you think about Heather's comments and Ruth B.'s? Well, you know, it's interesting. If we're, if we're really honest right now, if you look at the car industry, the automotive industry, has it really changed? We haven't faced much change yet. We've faced the specter of change, what might be, what could be in terms of mobility. But at the end of the day, we still build cars. We still sell them to somebody. Maybe it's me as an individual. Maybe it's to a taxi company. Maybe it's to a rental or, you know, an Uber driver or whatever. But fact of the matter is we design cars, we build those cars, we sell them to somebody, and they use them. Some of them use them to deliver mobility. Others use them for purpose. Uh, personal use. So we've only faced really the specter of change. The little bitty changes, the self-driving vehicles, the the Ubers, you know, you can claim disruption if you want, but it, it's really just a modification or variation of the 100 years of the car industry. So right now we're just on the cusp of of things being able to to evolve into something bigger and better. Mark Fields from Ford said, it's not about new business models. It's not about old business models. It's about biggest, bigger business models. And what the car companies are really, really trying to do is to preserve their place in the ecosystem. They realize that change is coming. They realize that the number of vehicles necessary to sustain mobility in an urban area is going to decrease. So what they're trying to do is figure out how we enable these mobility services. And I will tell you that the car companies know more about working with municipalities and government than a whole lot of other people do. Uber, for example, with the challenges that they've had in some of their uh, metropolitan areas, uh, I I will tell you that type of... um, not knowing what they need to do or not collaborating or not caring, whatever the case may be, wouldn't have happened with the car companies. They are on to bigger business models to preserve themselves. So, you know, I think we've only just begun to to see some change, and it's really been more the threat of change or the possibility of change rather than change itself that we've seen in the automotive industry. Thank you very much. And let's move on to uh, Heather. Quick uh, wrap-up of this. Yeah, I would agree with what people are saying, and I definitely want to emphasize that whole notion of collaboration. And I think that, um, as Ruthie and Larry even said, that the automotive OEMs, they understand the need to collaborate because they're highly regulated, and they've done this for many, many years. And um, some of the newcomers are less so, and I would also encourage them to sort of take a, a, a page from the playbook of the automotive OEMs who understand that it has, to, it has to all work together. Regulation is absolutely necessary for the safety of everybody. And, you know, the fastest way to get to the end is to, to try to collaborate. Thank and you, and this is Larry, yeah, uh, Heather, one, one thing I will comment, you know, it's very important, I think, to forget the baggage. You know, collaboration, mm-hmm. the way the OEMs work with the government and so on, Maybe there's some baggage there. Maybe companies like Uber uh, that have pushed the boundaries, 
do indeed have a place that everyone can can say, hey, you know, that makes sense. Why do we need the bureaucracy? Why do we need the baggage? So part of me says, you know, we're 100% right. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Part of me says, try something new. See if it takes. There you go. Well, let's see can I make take. a go comment ahead, to that, too? Yeah. Um, just Ruth, about, you know, I think... Um, I think the point about collaboration and the OEM sort of a history of doing this, I think even what we're talking about is a new type of collaboration. So one of the interesting things that I participated in was um, sort of a working session that BMW does and holds around um, every year, three cities they select, and they brought in a lot of DOT people from municipalities, they brought in um, thinkers like myself, they basically had a big matrix spreadsheet of people within a city region that they felt like were contributors to what they wanted to talk about, about the, the growth of mobility and, and their place. And they hosted a two-day session. And to me, that is an example, even if they've done it before and maybe it's not the most earth-shattering um, way of doing things. To me, it's an example of a, a slight tweak on the normal and getting everybody together to really talk with them about their strategy. And so I think we can think of collaboration in innovative ways. And we do see co-creating ideas or co-development as an opportunity um, and, and the new services. So, so I think um, we can imbue sort of innovation and change and all the, all the things that maybe traditionally have happened sort of to improve them and, and to improve the process, even if there is sort of baggage in history along the way. Thank you very much. That was Ruth B., correct? Yes. Okay, I'm looking at your notes here. We want to squeeze in one more topic. We have about 10 minutes, well, about eight minutes before we get into our prediction section. So let's see what we can do here. Uh, you talk in your notes about the growth in urban transit options, and you have some very interesting names popping up here. Do you, would you like to go into that and give us some examples? You talk about a range of options. Many private are found in major metro areas, uh, Bridge, B-R-I-D-J, and Uber and Lyft and cars to go You want to talk about that, Ruth B., or is there something else you'd like to cover in this segment? Um, sure, I can I can mention that as well. Um, so I think we sort of talked about this as a trend where when we think about mobility, it's really moving beyond subways and buses and light rail. Those are, those, those are still fundamental in terms of mass transit, and those are being improved upon, right, by like we've talked about with apps and on-demand management and lots of things that are happening to, to make them better. But then we've seen all of these sort of pop-up private offerings and it's interesting what Larry said. Are these truly revolutionary? Um, you know, when you first use Uber or Lyft, it is very much like using a taxi, especially as things have gotten more normalized, right? Um, originally, it was so wonderful because they were so clean and they offered you water. I've been in plenty that are just pretty regular um, and plenty of taxis that are clean. So, so I think it is a small improvement, but it does change something because of this app and this participation and this ability to see where all the cars are, like Heather was talking about. So I think even these small shifts have this broad ripple effects on the taxi industry, certainly on roads where we see Ubers and Lyfts pulling over in the middle of traffic everywhere and changing flows and things like that. So we do see a lot of services. Um, Bridge is one, which is basically similar to Uber and Lyft, but for um, they have these little buses. 
um, and they sort of supplement an existing um, mass transit route, and they take people to places that maybe mass transit doesn't doesn't move in a city, and they charge a little more, but it's a sort of Wi-Fi, did cushy ride. Um, we've obviously seen Uber and Lyft, and there's things like Maven, um, the auto OEMs getting into them, and those are really what we consider to be these ride-hailing like taxis. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hail through an app uh, a ride. And interesting there is their idea of now they have Uber Share and things like that where you can carpool, and it really makes it a very affordable option, almost on the same level of affordability as public transportation. And then a few other examples um, are, you know, Cars to Go and Zipcar that are these car sharing options where you can, um, you know, share one vehicle and, and rent it for use. And I think when you see all of these in combination, um, they really do change the options for how people can get from one place to another. Thank you, Ruth B. Interesting. Uh, some of those I wasn't familiar with. Larry, let's circle around to you. Any comments on these options, these pop-up private offerings that are or are not changing how people see getting from point A to point B? I, I, I think those those are fundamentally beginning to influence. I, I hate to use the word change, but I think the word that I would use is they're fundamentally beginning to influence people's thinking. And people's thinking is influenced geographically, for example. If you live where I do in a you know, way-out suburb of Detroit, uh, way out, um, it doesn't really matter to me. But, you know, I do think about it. If, if I'm living in a metropolitan area, those types of opportunities and things have a more accelerated influence on my thinking and so on. So, I, again, I think absolutely things are, you know, are being influenced the way we think about mobility, the way we think about automobiles, uh, the way we think about transportation is being influenced. And I think the first steps of change have just, just been taken. So, um, you know, I think it's a slow process, but I, I think it is changing. I think it's there. I think some people will call it aggravation. I think others will call it change. But the fact of the matter is, right now, we're beginning to influence things, and uh, it's not quite the thing, same as changing things. Ah, very interesting. Influencing, and then we had accepting acceptance or not on the other side. Uh, Heather Ashton, love to get your POV on this before we move in about a minute and a half, move into our prediction segment. Go ahead, Heather. Sure. I, I agree with Larry that, you know, we're starting to see the influence, and I, I guess it's going to be a matter of human behavior in terms of how quickly that influence turns into change. Um, there was a study I read recently about MI, from MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab that um, predicted through data analytics models uh, that just 3,000 rideshare vehicles could do the job of New York City's roughly 13,500 licensed cabs. So that's a huge change in terms of, you know, the number of vehicles on the road, emissions, all of the environmental impacts, traffic congestion, etc. However, in order for that to happen, it would require the ride sharing and carpooling. And again, um, the, you know, the lone American, if we're just talking about the U.S. here, you know, that sort of, are you willing to give up your, you know, privacy or um, your time alone, you know, in, you know, in exchange for one of these sort of ride-sharing carpooling, if it is more economic, right, and if it does ultimately, you know, serve the greater, you know, the greater society. I think that there will be some initial, um, you know, kind of 
in, you know, not interested in, in doing that. And so I think it's, it, it, it remains to be seen sort of how quickly we can change that influence into actual, um, into actual changes in behavior patterns. Thank you, Heather. Ruth B., I'm going to give you just one minute to wrap up this topic if you'd like to, and if you don't want to, I'm going to let you start off the predictions round. So either wrap it up or say, hey, these are my predictions for let's focus on 2020 or later. Ruth B., yes, dear Clark? I think Heather did a very good ending, so I will um, <laughs> move into the predictions. Okay. Um, and so mainly because my prediction kind of ties into everything we were just talking about. And one of the predictions that we actually published in, in um, one of our documents recently, Heather and I wrote, was looking at how we start to see this technology layer of apps that we've talked about or intelligent assistance. And so my prediction is once we see the opportunity of intelligent assistance or apps that allow people to really see all their transit options based on their personal preferences, so, you know, where they're going, if they have kids or packages, what the price might be, whether they care about emissions or what the time of travel might be. Once they see and can put in their personal preferences and then see whether they should take light rail or bus or drive and then hike or walk and then jump on a Uber, then I think we'll really see a change in how people travel and how, they're, how they move. And it will impact people even like Larry, who might be in the suburbs but would be traveling to a city. So I think that's my prediction is once we see that really developing, this other technology layer, then we'll start to see some really interesting changes in how people decide to move around urban environments. Thank you. Very interesting. So we're going to get smarter about, yes, and we may, might know whether those roads were indeed plowed or not and whether what kind of boots to wear if we have to walk on a road <laughs> that wasn't plowed or a street that's still full of ice and black. Oh, my goodness, it's getting better. A little safer, maybe. Uh, Larry Stoley, let's circle around to you. Ready for your predictions? Predictions. I, I love this stuff. I will make a prediction that, that I'm, I'm going to hang my hat on for this year. Artificial intelligence. You know, we talk about analytics. We talk about analyzing and understanding and recommending and so on and so forth. I think artificial intelligence in mobility is going to have a profound and lasting effect, impact, if you will, on mobility. I don't think we've begun to realize how artificial intelligence, learning, if you will, machine learning, can have I don't think we understand that impact on mobility yet. And I think artificial intelligence in the next 5, 10, 15 years is going to create an entirely different mobility concept that will begin to enable people to get over their phobias, their fears, their preconceived, their always, I've always done it this way type of thinking. So hang on to your hat. That's coming. Hmm, interesting. You're scaring me a little bit. Maybe for the good, maybe for the bad. I don't know. Okay, and Heather Ashton, I saved, uh, oh, we have about two minutes for your prediction, so take your time. All right. Um, I loved the theme of artificial intelligence, and I definitely believe that that is, uh, you know, going to have a huge influence on where we're headed in the coming years, and it's going to come so quickly that I think it will take many of us by surprise in terms of, you know, how quickly and how adept 
these, you know, artificial intelligence and cognitive systems are at understanding our patterns and our choices and helping us, you know, make smarter decisions throughout our day where, as it relates to mobility and, and transportation. I think um, when I look forward to, you know, 2020 and beyond, the, you know, the technology is there. Undoubtedly, I mean, what I saw at this North American auto show in terms of autonomous vehicles, in terms of, you know, um, some of the cognitive even um, driving, you know, patterns and, and usage, it's, it's there. I think what it's going to come down to is economics. And I think what's going to happen is everyone has to understand what is the cost, what are the opportunities, how do we monetize um, some of these services, how do we, you know, where's the money? And, and that's what everyone's going to need to follow. And it's going to be either money from, you know, from a revenue perspective or from a cost containment perspective. And so how can technology, you know, be used to help, you know, support this? And that is, you know, from the city perspectives, when Ruthie talks about the fact that, you know, parking is a major source of revenue. Well, if that goes away, what's the next, you know, what's another source of revenue? How do you replace it? And how does that translate into things like, um, you know, repairing these roadways and this infrastructure that's still necessary, regardless of whether it's ride share or the people own the cars or the vehicles, there still will be vehicles. And, you know, how do you support support that with infrastructure? How do you fund that? Um, so I think there's so many, you know, conversations that need to happen. And, and, and by 2020, I don't think we'll be, we'll have figured it all out yet, but um, we'll be on, you know, on the way to understanding that the technology is here. Now, what do we do with this amazing you know, amazing gift that we have in terms of being able to influence, you know, mobility in a city. Thank you. Very eloquent. Great predictions. I tried to capture them all on Twitter. Go take a look. And I want to thank Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, Ruth B. Estner-Clark for joining us on the debut of Season 2 of The Future of Cars. Larry, one sentence from you. What's going to be coming up this season? Just give me one sentence on your focus this, this year. I think this year we're going to spread our focus a little bit. We're going to stay focused on the future, of the future of cars, but we're going to take connected cars, mobility, and so on, and we're going to look at some of the things that have to fuel that from the, you know, from the manufacturing side, from the design side, and uh, just really focus on the entire ecosystem of mobility rather than just the manifestation of mobility in the uh, uh, connected vehicles. Thank you. And I'm going to manifest a thank you to our three panelists and thank you to Michael, our engineer. Happy New Year to everyone. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for the first of 10 episodes spread out over 2017 on the future of cars with Game Changers. Here's my call to action. It hasn't changed and it's probably more true than ever. No matter how you're getting from point A to point B, fasten your seatbelt, real or virtual or emotional. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Talk to you in an hour on the debut of Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.